I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, seminal Northampton Town fanzine that ran from 1988 to 2004. Reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed, and who better to join me than the founder and editor of What a Load of Cobblers, or Waylock. Through thick and mainly thin, key member of the first ever supporters trust that saved the club in the early 90s. It's Deborah Marshall. How are you, Deborah? Yeah, good. Thank you, uh, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Just just a quick, um, it was actually 87 to 2004, not 88. OK, what's it? What's it? What's one year between friends? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's good talking to you. And um, obviously, uh, with the sort of hiatus in football at the moment it's it's good to sort of go over a few memories and obviously you've you followed the, the club for for decades and you saw a lot, of, a lot of things in your time and we're just going to go over a few of them now and you know how the fanzine was formed so you know first of all let's talk about your your first game at, at Cobblers when was that? Yeah well I was I was quite young I don't really remember the, anything about the game because um, I was only about I think, six at the time um, it was Home to Wrexham, uh, my dad took me. Um, it was October 1962, um, and the Cobblers won 8-0. Well, that's, um, a, that's, a, that's a great sort of uh, baptism into Cobblers, probably not repeated for a long time afterwards. <laughs> I've never seen a score eight since, although we have, we have actually scored eight in one game since, I think against Brighton in the League Cup in 67, but I wasn't there for that one. So I've only seen a score eight once in my very first game. I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so when uh, when did you sort of start going regularly to uh, up to the county ground then sort of probably when I was about 10 or 11 I would think um, with my, with my dad and then when I was about 13 um, started going obviously with with friends from school um, would this be started, into the 70s era would it the 70s yeah or? it went right from 67 and then obviously right through till Virtually until '77, when I left Northampton and moved to Dover. But Cobblers, Cobblers, obviously in the '60s had their uh, season in the sun, got to the, the the first division, and you know had a had a fine team, and you know it seemed to go in cycles. That you know maybe probably about ten years later into the '70s, you had that decent team. Was Bill Dodgen the manager then? Yeah, uh, well, I saw several games or several games in in the in the first division, but I I, I wasn't at the. Uh, at the famous Fulham game, I, I, my dad wouldn't let me go because obviously they were, it was the biggest crowd we'd ever had at the Cobblers. So yeah, it was, a crowd. It was um, you know, it, it was I, I didn't get to that, but but, but in, in the mid seventies, obviously, where I was going like with my friends to to games, 
Um, we had a, we had a good team in about 70-71 and then we got, got a couple of really crucial injuries. We were in we were in the top four for a long time. Yeah. Um, but then we slipped away after Christmas and, and missed out promotion. And it wasn't again. You, uh, you sent me a video, didn't you? You sent me a video uh, on on Twitter and it was a uh, cobbler six Bournemouth nil. Uh, yeah. In March, that was 75, 76. 70, yeah, 75-76 season. Um, it was an amazing season, that was it. Um, you know, it, it was, it, in a way, it was similar to 86-87, where we weren't long to games, not, think, not, not wondering whether we'd win. It was a question of by how many we win. Yeah, I can sort of understand that. I watched the video and, you know, that uh, era was pretty alien to me, but... Just seen some of the uh, some of the nice football, you know, mainly played on the floor. Even though the pitches in those days weren't great, it was pretty impressive. And just seeing the county ground full, and the main stand was in in situ then, and it just seemed like um, a really good time to, to be watching the football club. Really, I can see why people would have been, uh, you know, attracted. The atmosphere looked really good, and yeah, just some really uh, time to go. It was, it was, it was, it was incredible. And as I say, that 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 period. The, you know the Bournemouth game was just unreal. You know, um, I think we went one of in the squad as well, and some real. Um, I can tell, like I saw a goal from Jim Hall. I think it was the first goal in that game. Who he just sort of surged through, really good finish in yeah. front of packed hotel end, and obviously uh, Paul Stratford, who had a lot of skill and um, sort of ingenuity. It was, you know, a real, real good side to watch. Yeah. And, and you had, and you had uh, Billy Best in midfield, who. Um, who pulled all the strings. He was an absolutely amazing footballer. Yeah, I think he, in the game we're talking about, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a link on it to on a NQNTFC, but I think in, in that game, he either scored two or three. Jim Hall mm. scored a hat-trick. Um, yeah. I've just read that Jim Hall went on to uh, posh, didn't he? So he, he blotted his copybook there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but, but you know, at the end of the day... Um, you know, I think we, you know, we, we got like something like Phil Chard from from Posh. So uh, yeah, there is a bit know, of an interesting. No matter, no matter what the rivalry is, I think you know there has been a bit of movement between two, the two two sides. So we, we can't begrudge it too much. Yeah, yeah. on later on. Adcock and Barnes going that that That's different. didn't sit well with anybody. <laughs> so let's um obviously uh you you said you were living in dover uh, around that at that time and stuff and you went in northampton and then you had a bit of a hiatus from following the club didn't you and you came back around uh, well, e7 yeah well i i i left northampton in 77 uh i moved to dover um for, for my job um and so i couldn't get to games that often because it was uh there was no m25 in those days so it was, it was quite a hike back up um, so the games I tend to go to are like Gillingham away, um, yeah. you know, games, games in London. Um, the seven, the seven teams, really. Yeah. Um, and, and a few home games when I, when I, when I was coming home to visit uh, my parents. Um, but I, I then moved up to, I, I got transferred with, with my job up to Heathrow Airport in 85. Yeah. Just in time for Graham Carter to take over as manager. And, uh, 86, 87. What a season! Wow, like you, you walked back, you, you came back in, in style, didn't you? You chose probably yeah. you know one of the best seasons ever in the in the football club with, uh, like you say, not just a team that were gonna go out and beat their opponents, they were gonna they were gonna trounce them with some yeah. amazing players that yeah. uh, 
even though that was slightly before my time, they were they were players that were still talked about in the early nineties. You know, oh, uh, the, Richard you Hill know, and again, I, you know, I could probably I could probably tell you that that you know the starting eleven eleven even now. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously Graham Carr, the uh, the Newcastle sort of born uh, guy, father of Alan Carr, famous comedian. There was a lot of yeah. colour about the. Um, a lot of colour about the club then, and obviously the way they sort of um, they 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 won that that uh, championship oh, sort of uh, still resonates now. Again, very much like the Dodging team of eight, of seventy five seventy six. Yeah, you know, we went along to games not wondering if we we're going to win; it was just by how many. Yeah, do you remember yeah. any particular games from that season? I think there was it Crew that was a good one. I can't remember. Or uh, well, well, I've seen the Crew was the game. Crew was the game where we actually clinched the championship. Yeah, uh, and that was it. Was quite a scrappy game actually, but but highlighted by the fact of a of a typical Trevor Morley um, crumple, shall we say, in the penalty box. Um, <laughs> it, he, he he won so many penalties that yeah. season because you know he didn't go over, he didn't dive, he didn't throw himself to the ground, he just crumpled. Yeah, and, and it looked as if you know that he didn't mean to be fouled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't fouled, but it, but the referee gave penalties. Um, I am. Um... I have I, ha, I had the VHS of that season. My uh, my brother's friend knew I scored cobblers, and this was probably in the early nineties. And he said, oh, "I support cobblers." Like go, going back into the eighties, and he said, "I'll give you this VHS." It was called To the Top. You've probably seen it yourself. Yeah. With okay. no with yeah. the band, I think they're called Sacred Hearts for all the uh, pop aficionados out there. They recorded yeah. a song called uh, "To the Top, Rising to the Top." Top. That's right. I sat and watched this video, and I was like. I can't believe we had such an amazing team because I was watching it probably in like night two, night three when we were terrible, and I was like, I've really missed out here. In this yeah. team, oh, it was, you know, the, and the thing you, you know, everybody you know went on about you know like Richard Hill who was brilliant and Trevor Morley, Eddie McGoldrick, yeah. um, uh, uns, but there were unsung heroes like Ian Benjamin, for instance. Yeah, you know, he was he was just amazing. He was brilliant, you know, and and. But didn't get. I don't think he got the credit he deserved because we got many flamboyant players, and there were sort of uh, headline catchers in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, yeah, obviously, the defence as well. The defence, like people like Keith McPherson and um, Graham Rambert, people like that. Person. He was one of the best centre halves that I've seen seen at the Cobblers, to be honest with you. And Phil Chard, who was um, sort of like a you know an assuming sort of guy who just did it week in week out and didn't really yeah. you know yeah. want any attention or anything. Re- a real club hero in my opinion Phil Chai probably not celebrated yeah. enough real club man real club man yeah definitely uh, so yeah so let's talk about um, you know you starting the fanzine up because obviously uh, it was around that time maybe slightly after that you you thought obviously let's uh, let's start our own fanzine up obviously there was mm-hmm. loads of other, other fanzines starting up around that time so you know talk me yeah. through what inspired yeah. you to it and... um, well as uh, a friend of mine um, I, I, I was heavily into trade unionism back, back in the day, and I was at a trade union meeting, and, a, and a, yeah. one of my colleagues brought me um, uh, this this particular magazine. Well, I say magazine at the time, it was like yeah. some stapled together, made on a, like a home printing press. It was called When Saturday Comes, wow. and because because at the time, you know, all the football magazines were like Shoot and Match Weekly, and uh, and, and and stuff put out by the you know by the clubs themselves there was nothing you know and I, I started reading this you know when Saturday comes I think it was about their issue four or five I think if I remember rightly and I thought wow this is amazing you know it's it, it, it's got the fans at heart it was it was you know 
when football was was in decline with spectators because there'd been the there'd been the Bradford fire, there'd been Hay Heisel, the Heisel oh, stages and stuff. Um, and fans fans were being vilified left, right, and centre. But yeah. but again, the vast majority of football fans were still decent people uh, with, exactly. a, with a good sense of humour and, and wanted, wanted to go to a game and have a beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were being vilified by by the national press, you know, and by the clubs to an extent as well. The clubs didn't, you know. Um, obviously, fences were going up and all that. And um, the infamous was, uh, Chelsea uh, Chelsea electric fence idea that was mooting yeah, around trying to sort of have an yeah. electric fence. Uh, there was I, definitely I'm, a vilification going on. I'm, you know, I'm not saying there wasn't a problem. There, there, there was hooliganism at the time, and, and there was a problem. But 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 yeah. but there were more fans who were, and I think the fact the fanzine movement starting. So at the time, I'd moved up to near London, so I, I, I regularly went into London, and there yeah. was a fantastic bookshop there called uh, Sports Pages. Yeah, yeah, Charing Cross Road. They'd got, all, they'd got all like sports books, but on the floor, they'd got like a floor full of like these. Um, uh, fa- well, we came to those fanzines, and yeah. so I, you know, I thought, and, and I saw them obviously from like the likes of. Obviously, there was when Saturday comes. There was there was one. I think Swindon had one. Um, Arsenal. Oh, you know, quite a quite a few clubs. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and I bought a selection. I thought, you know what? You know, this is this is brilliant. I'll we haven't got one at Northampton. I'll yeah. start one. And so I I I got uh, an electric typewriter. <laughs> um, and I I typed out the first issue myself. It was I think from eight pages. Yeah. Um, with a picture of the of, of the old of, of the county ground, um, with cars parked on the football pitch. Yeah, yeah. The headline: yeah. County yeah. ground, you know, football ground or car park sort of thing. If I remember rightly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I I took it down to my to local shop, and I, I literally just photocopied some like you know. Um, yeah. Well, it was I, I did I I photocopied two hundred and fifty. Copies. So how many was that times that times four pages? Thousand sheets of paper, basically. Yeah, I yeah. Sat at, sat at home, stapled them all together myself. Ready for ready for the opening game of the season um, away at Mansfield. A real uh, a real a real DIY sort of punk ethos going on there, wasn't there? It was yeah. like yeah, we've we've got our own stories to tell, and it, and it's not necessarily what's going to go in the in the club program, but you know we we've got our own voice. So that was, that was really important at the time, I think. That was it, yeah, yeah. And the fact that there were there were you know fans who who had got a conscience and and could and could uh, you know string two or three words together uh, on paper. Yeah, I push. <laughs> I include myself <laughs> in that. <laughs> uh, and then obviously it was it 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 showed how crucial fanzine actually fanzines actually were and are at, at that time. You know because by the early nineties there were signs of a financial implosion going on wasn't there at the club and you were actually first-hand experience in it weren't you with the with the fanzine and your and your role at this uh, ad that you were, were at that point you were um editing the program weren't you at the club as well what's yeah yeah in, in the close season um uh leading up to that well in, in 1991 leading, leading up to the 91 92 se- uh, season um i've been approached to edit the program now i i I didn't really want. I I I didn't particularly want to do it because I wanted to keep you know the fanzine going, keep my independence going, and uh, I'd actually I took some advice um, from from Brian Lomax at the time. Said you know, yeah. uh, uh, asked him what I should do, and, and he said, well, as long as you keep the two separate, then yeah. why not? 
Um, so I said, OK, so I did it. Um, anyway, obviously, by doing that, I got a little, little bit more insight into what was happening around the club. And and there was so much. And obviously, through through the pro, the company, the printers uh, of the programme. And they were telling me that um, they weren't getting paid. And I said, oh, you know, and uh, this, I thought this wasn't good. And it, and it, went, it went on for, for, for the first two or three months of the season and, the, and they were still providing the programme and they weren't getting paid. It, it came to a head um, in, I think it was about November, where they said, right, if we don't get paid this week, we're not, we're not going to provide a programme. And this was leading up to the uh, home game against Burnley. Yeah. And the club didn't pay them. Um, and so that resulted in the club having a photocopied sheet of paper as, as a team sheet. Sure, yeah. I think there's some people, you know, there's probably some collectors out there that have got that one. <laughs> mm, yeah, I think I've got one somewhere. But trouble, yeah, well, trouble with that is that you can photocopy it yourself anyway. And, you know, so it wouldn't, it's not yeah. sort of unique as it is, is it? But then, so then obviously some further discussions went on between the club and, um, and the programme makers. They produced a programme then for the Autoglass game against Leighton Orient. But then the following Saturday, there was a home game against uh, Scarborough. And again, programme makers said, that's it, we're pulling the pin, we're not doing it anymore. Club obviously needed something. So I stepped in and said, well, I can do like a fanzine type thing. So I've got some printers who are prepared to do it. Um, yeah. So I actually produced um, a, a sort of, on very, you know, on the same sort of paper that the fanzine was produced, um, sure. about a 16-page match day programme for the game against Scarborough. It was that night that, um, after that game, um, you know, I, during while this has been going on, you know, from, from like the Burnley game to the to the Lane Orient game, to, to, I was thinking, we, we, as fans and as a fanzine, we've got to, we've got to, uh, motivate the supporters. We've got to mobilise supporters. We've got to do something because otherwise, yeah. this club, you know, the club's got going downhill. Yeah, well, yeah. You could, you could see, you could see, you could see the early the warning signs, and you were, uh, yeah. you were in place to start getting a few people together, weren't you? Yeah. When did, uh, when did, when did, uh, you know, your friend, you know, the late Brian Lomax, uh, and um, and you know the the others um, starts talking about getting a bit more organised. Well, it uh, it was. You know, i had been sort of kicking the idea about a little bit, but it was at, it was after the after the um, the Scarborough game. We we would down the down the pub for our regular post match uh, sort of well drinking and and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the post mortem of, of, of what I just happened, you know the football and just did. yeah. And I just said I said we've got to do something. I said we 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 need to get a public meeting together. Yeah. Um, and obviously I turned to. Uh, to Brian with his experience with the Mayday Trust and his uh, his political experience, I said, you know, what what do we need to do, do about this? He said, well, obviously we need a room. He said, he said yeah. um, so, and obviously I, I didn't I didn't live in Northampton, so I left that one to Brian to sort out, and and he he managed to get hold of like the extra rooms, and I think because because they were part of the co-op, I think if I remember rightly, we got it free of charge. Oh, Maybe wow, wrong. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're wrong. Famous pretty, sure, pretty sure we got it free of charge. Um, so it all started to get coming together quite quickly. You, 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 yeah. you called yeah, the well, uh, public meeting. Yeah, the, well, the Scarborough League game was on Saturday the 7th of December. During yeah. the week, then sourced out the room. Um, I put out a press release to um, the local media 
um, yeah. which was you've, obviously you've got a copy of it, haven't you? You can read, you can hopefully read a, li- a little bit out of it. You know, um, yeah, cool to watch, yeah. so to speak. You could read some. Um, that'd be great. Well, I say we 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 actually sent this out. Um, I think on the Thursday or the Friday, which would be about the 12th of December 1991, and it was embargoed until the Monday the 16th. And basically said the future of Northampton Town Football Club public meeting. A public meeting has been called for 32nd of January at the Extra Rooms, Extra Place, Kettering Road, to discuss the future of the Cobblers at this critical moment in their history. The chairman, Michael McRitchie, has been invited to answer the questions of concerned supporters and many officials past and present will be present to make their contributions. Leading councillors and officers of the Borough Council will be there to contribute their views on their prospective partners as managers of the new Nen Valley Stadium. As the cobblers move towards a new era, many fears exist as to whether they will be able to meet the challenges ahead. Recent financial crises have created a crisis of confidence, and the organisers of this meeting ask only one thing. Tell us the truth. All supporters and well-wishers are urged to be present release ends wow well, what a brilliant um, piece of living history that is to hear that back and i think it still resonates with you know the the supporters trust movement which obviously expanded up from uh, the cobbler's first ever trust is it's just about transparency and yeah. transparency in the running of clubs and all you were calling for then was just the truth about what's going yeah, on well, it, it was it was it was sort it. of like the tagline we used throughout the um you know even when the trust was formed and with meetings towards with McRitchie, because when when the trust was first first formed, we we wanted to work with McRitchie. Yeah, this is Michael no, McRitchie, by the way. To. Michael McRitchie, the chairman at, at the time. Uh, obviously, things went you know downhill, but the trust did try and approach uh, Mr. McRitchie to try and work with him, but it didn't really get very far. Did yeah, it? yeah, uh, you know, um, we, we, you know, we all we had the club's best interests at heart. We we didn't want to fight the chairman we yeah. wanted to help and see where we could you know what we could do to, to push the club forward um but he didn't but, he didn't attend the public meeting did he and uh, no he didn't no no he claimed to be at a dinner dance he, and, he sent uh, along one of his staff a guy called paul clark and i felt so sorry for paul because you know he you know he he wasn't party to anything that, that uh, michael mcritchie was doing and yeah. he was sort of like poor guy um, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was, uh, and then obviously, the, the, then the big bombshell was dropped during, you know, in the um, in the meeting. One of the people up there was one of the former directors who'd got uh, information about how much the club was actually in debt at the time. Now, these days, it it doesn't sound a lot, but at the time, it was getting off a, a million. Yeah, and it was just like it was jaw dropping at the time. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a huge a huge. It was, to be fair, it's a, it's a, it's a big it's a big sum now. But in those days, it it was more than enough to to sink a, a football club of, of cobbler's size that were yeah. existing hand to mouth really. Um, well, well, and also because don't forget then the sums of money that are, that are floating around in the upper echelons of the game, the, the Premier League hadn't started by that stage. Yeah, so there's no there were no real huge like. The cobblers now get a, a fairly hefty solidarity payment from the t- Premier League TV deal. In those days, uh, the, the, mo- the, the money just wasn't really in the game, was it, at that point? No, no Just no. before that, before that point. Um, so, obviously, the the trust uh, would just just sort of started quite soon after that meeting. Is that right? Yeah, well, well we, had, we, we had the meeting and we... Um, 
in fact, no, we did pay for the room because I remember, I remember rightly now, we, we, we actually, we asked people to make a contribution coming into the meeting. Yeah. To, I, I was underwriting it from, from sort of like from the fanzine. We yeah. asked people for contribution to cover sure. the costs. Yeah. But we made a lot more than the costs, and, and which was great because that gave us the start of the fighting fund for, for, to, to launch the trust. Um, yeah. So the meeting, the meeting happened uh, on the uh, on the on the 2nd of January 1992, um, and we were ex- I, I was really really nervous. I've got to, I've got to be saying because I'd been interviewed uh, by Andy Andy Roberts of the, of the Cron. I'd been interviewed by BBC Radio Northampton. Um, yeah. all, you know, um, and on the morning morning of it, I, I was interviewed again, and I was told that. Um, Richie wasn't attending, and nobody from the club was attending, and um, and I and I was thinking, is this going to be an absolute damp squib? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't imagine. believe on the night when yeah. over 100 people crammed into that into that building. Yeah. Virtually, gave a bit of a donation. Um, yeah. Say so, it, it, it really sort of helped launch, you know, some funds for the trust that, there and then. So you had a you had a fighting fund, and I, I believe, if I'm uh, if I remember rightly, the the trust raised about twelve thousand in its first two months of existence. I think it came yeah. into existence on officially on January the tenth, ninety two, around that yeah. time. Uh, well, a form we, of constitution. Yeah, because we we had we had say from from the public meeting. So I, I I'd asked Brian Lomax to chair the public meeting because he 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 got experience in that sort of thing, and and he could control like a, an audience uh, me i get passionate about things yeah. and i could and i know i could have probably you know, and it, it might have degenerated a bit but brian was so good um and yeah. obviously you know he was the, the ideal person to, to lead the meeting and then obviously with, with his experience in, in 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 the trust he was involved with at the time the mayday trust um he got this, formulated this idea of ha- having a trust for supporters yeah. um and so at the end of the meeting, we, we sort of put out this call saying, "If right, anybody wants to get involved in the trust, please stay behind. We'll, we'll take some details and then we'll have a, a like a steering group meeting, uh, which was at the Abington uh, Park Hotel um, a week or so later. Um, and then from that, obviously, a committee was formed. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, obviously, of which Brian, Ch- Brian Lomax uh, was the chair. Uh, I was invited to be on the on the board uh, of the trust, I declined because, again, um, I wanted to keep the fanzines independence. Yeah, I can understand that. It, it, it was good to uh, have have that independence and you know have that sort of unique voice just from the fans mm. and keep things sort of slightly separate. But obviously, you 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 helped a lot with the whole thing and you know. Oh yeah, well, it, I, as the, it, the, the trust were, were obviously aligned with with what. You know what, what, what the fanzine and what and what I, what I was involved in, but I still wanted to be able to sit outside of the trust to be able to um, yeah. criticise if if I felt I needed to. Exactly, and um, it's it's really important not to sort of underestimate the significance of the first ever supporters trust being um, formed at Northampton Town. It, it started a movement with um, Brian going on to support uh, former oh. supporters direct, and you know now they're supporters trust all over the world, and it started, started pretty much. Yeah, that's not that's yeah. not you know that's not like you from, trumpet from too a, much. A, a late fans, one of an idea that I had a bit of paper and a thousand copies that that sort of uh, 
help yeah. to form the worldwide movement. So you know that's <laughs> that's, that's that's amazing. And amazing looking back on it, isn't it? Um, it is really. Let's quickly, yeah, quickly I, go I, through. I never, um, like that particularly before, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. You know, an electric typewriter and a, and a stapler. Exactly. The power of uh, the, the typewriter is more powerful than the pen, even. <laughs> but yeah. uh, let's quickly go through how it unfolded. Then it's it's all a bit sort of you know you know how bureaucracy and what happened. But I think in uh, late March '92, a group of insolvency experts called Panel Kerr and Forster, called in by McRitchie, uh, that created this bit of a breathing space. And um, funnily enough, uh, an administration uh, order. Uh, via a guy called Barry Ward actually gave the fans a route into uh, the running of the club on the, and, and uh, two places on the club board. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That. Yeah. And the, the two, the two people then were uh, uh, obviously Brian Lomax and uh, a guy called Phil Frost. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, pretty revolutionary to have supporters, uh, you know, mm-hmm. at the, you know, the, the boardroom level. Uh, mm. And I spoke to Brian Lomax at, at length, bless him, before he, he passed on, and yeah. he he just said all the, all they wanted was for fans to be partners in the running of clubs. It wasn't necessarily, a, you know, there's some sort of hostile takeover. No, it was just no. they just wanted a say in how clubs were run and to be open, transparent partners. And yeah. um, that message, you know, really, really lives on now. It's actually probably never been more needed with all, you know, what's gone yeah. on at Berry and stuff like that. Well, it, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing legacy that uh, that Brian has uh, has left. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, uh, and hopefully, you know, you know the, the the sports trust is still going at Cobblers, and you know that 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 sort of ethos of transparency sort of can continue going forward, um, and we can continue to sort of celebrate what was actually achieved by you guys, you guys then. Um, we're brilliant. The club, let's let's face it, the club weren't weren't out of danger because of this, and it took them probably up until '97 to repay all the sort of debts of that period, slowly but surely. Um, yeah. And on the pitch, things were pre- pretty bad still. There didn't we were talking about that um, a lot of players got released in in, in one yeah. particular. Obviously, you know, sadly, one of the first things that the administrator had to do to save costs was to to call the um the, the the wage bill and yeah he, he did that by actually sacking um i think sacked 10 players who were in contracts and there was a, a another player a christian mclean who was he uh, was a lovely lovely guy lovely footballer who was a non-contract player so he was discarded as well and then i, I don't know if it was i can't remember if that was on the thursday or the friday um and then Two days later, we were away at Barnet. Um, we must have taken over 2,000 supporters down there that, that day. Um, that's, a, that's a big following. Which, Under you know, it's basically to see the youth team plus Phil Chard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, we, we lost 3-0, but to be honest with you, nobody cared about the football result. All, we were just so happy to see a team playing in Claret and Wyatt, representing Northampton Town Football Club. And... People, so easily could have been, uh, you know, you know, the Tin Hat for the football club. The, the football club could have finished the existence. You, you still had the team, and there was life still in the football club. By the sports just, trust, just that happening at the same time was Aldershot, who actually went bust that same season. Yeah. What well, didn't Michael Marucci and their chairman like 
go on the pitch to the refrain of always look on the bright side of life or something like that. I, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like we uh, I couldn't believe it. Well, myself and Brian, we couldn't. We just could not believe what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and um, so. I don't, I don't think I was actually in the ground when it happened because I think I was outside selling the fanzine at the time. <laughs> yeah, best place. A lot to be fair, you being uh, selling the fanzine probably got you out of watching a lot of terrible football because you could you could turn up late and leave early if you wanted to. Well, no, I I, I always well I, I always got in time. For, I always got in the ground in time for kickoff. Oh, fair play, yeah. Fair but enough. I would but I would just get to the end of the edge of the hotel end just before the whistle was due to go, so I could just stand outside the hotel end to sell. Yeah. As the, as, the, as, the, as the as the as the game as the ground was emptying. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so the, the the team are in bad shape. This is probably when uh, for my sins I started getting involved in watching cobblers because I'm you know I was born and bred in Northampton and a lot of people I'm from the Eastern District of Northampton and we had a lot of what you call London overspill people and in the Eastern District this Eastern District everyone supported everyone so you'd have fans of Tottenham Chelsea. And they would actually go to watch games in London because it's not far. So I was a, a bit of a loss who to support. And I went to the county ground and just because of live football, and I was a football, you know, fanatic, I love playing football. Mm. I was I was hooked. But at the time, it was actually, if I would have come in, just say 91, 92, it was actually quite an exciting time with with the uh, red card protests that you organised uh, against Michael Ritchie, where all the fans held up the red cards. Yeah. The team were either, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous, one week good, next week dreadful. Mm. Um, the county ground was just so full of character. It was really like, I've spoken to other fans that started going at that time, and although it was terrible, there was something weirdly was, attractive about it. There was a camaraderie. And there was a sort of connect between, yeah. you know, as well between the, between the uh, fans and the players. Yeah, because in those days, and you know, maybe it's fairly true now, but in those days, there weren't, there wasn't that much difference between the supporters and the players. They were, they, you know, they weren't earning much money. There's probably no. fans out more than them working down the building sides or something. Um, you know, there was a, there was a connect there. And if, if a player produced a little bit of skill on a Saturday, it just brightened your day up really, didn't it? You know, um, yeah. sometimes they didn't, but that leads us on to, uh, <laughs> Shrewsbury 93 or Shrewsbury whatever you want to call it uh the great escape when obviously financially we were on the bones of our ass but it all went down to the last game of the season at uh Bay Meadow Shrewsbury which isn't actually there anymore no and uh you know talk us through sort of what happened quickly at that in that game well again it was one of those you know um we took I don't know how many thousands we took up there um yeah uh and it was more in hope than, um, you know, than expectation. Shrewsbury yeah. were, near the, were near the top of the, the table that they needed to win to get in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, we had to win. Obviously, there was also the bottom, the bottom spot between us and Halifax. And Halifax were at home to Hereford, who had saved themselves uh, earlier in the week. So they got nothing to play for. Yeah. Um, you know, against Shrew- Shrewsbury. We went two 0 down in the first half. When we heard then, then we heard that Halifax had kicked off 15 minutes late, so oh, they right. knew exactly what they needed to do. Um, and I, 
I, I don't know, you know, this second half and well, you know, at half time, you know, the, the, the it was just on that terrace, the away terrace at uh, Shrewsbury, it was like, is this the last time we're going to see the Cobblers in the Football League? You know, it was it was exactly. that. that I think uh, the the famous Pat Gavin. I think he came on at half time because going back a few years, yeah. I actually uh, I, inter- I I tracked Pat Gavin down. He's you know still wow. doing when he's uh, yeah. Yeah, when I spoke to Pat Gavin, he was like, I was like, how are you getting on now? You know, you're still playing football. And he said, well, I'll give you a race at the length of the six field pitch. And I was like, well, seeing how fast you closed down that uh, goal when it came off your backside, I'm not going to, I'm not going to accept that challenge <laughs> too fast for me. But um, yeah. yeah, so obviously, uh, I think he came on for Martin Aldridge. Like, no, you know, like, yes, he did. Like, I, think, I, think Mar- I think the occasion got to Martin because obviously Martin was a local lad. Young lad as well, though. Occasions get got to Martin, and well, that's what this is what I heard subsequently from an interview with Phil Chard. Yeah, um, Phil Chard um, had to try and steady the ship because it was obviously a nervous dressing room, and but miraculously, God knows how, it's one of those uh, you know just those things in football. Like Cobblers managed to come down from two 0 down at half, to, come back from two 0 down at half time, and you know win three two via uh, was it the third? Was it the winning goal where he chased uh, Pat Gavin? Yes, chased it was. Up? Yeah. Yeah, the, the thing what? was, you know, we'd, we'd pulled back to 2-2. Yeah. Um, and then news filtered through from um, from Halifax that Hereford have actually scored. Yeah. And so at that stage, we didn't actually need to win because, you know, uh, if if Halifax lost, we, we were safe anyway. But obviously you, you couldn't rely on that. Um, no. And then... It's probably the transistor radio day, wasn't it? People say, and then, do you know, like, remember rumours used to go through the crowd? The goal's gone in and everyone were like suddenly like buoyant, I, I should think. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we should do this like miraculously. And then obviously yeah. Pat Gavin chased that, uh, chased that ball down. Goalie kicked it off of him. The ball went in. And yeah. I think and it must have been. I, 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 I can, I can, even now I can still see it sort of trickle. It, it, it took about 20 minutes to get from Pat Gavin to, to the <laughs> goal. Or it, it seemed like that at the time anyway. <laughs> And there were so many pitch invasions that day, I think. I think every two seconds someone was on the pitch. And uh, oh, at the it, final whistle, like, I've seen this is another VHS thing for me. Cause I, had, I had that VHS as well. The pitch was just a sea of Cobblers fans, wasn't it? Oh, like, yeah. It's yeah. really of that ground. Yeah. Um, and I think it was uh, oh, Dave Bowen was interviewed on the pitch and he was like, this must never happen again. And I think about two years later, it happened again. Well, it was the, season, the, the following season, um, season where, fortunately, Kidderminster um, hadn't, you know, their ground wasn't up to up to league standard, which was ironic given the state of the county ground at the time. Yeah, they t- they were they weren't in football in terms great days, and they're, they're often referred to as quite dark days. I, I mm. think the nights before Chesterfield last game of the season, there was a bit of a riot on the pitch and that wasn't a great day for the club. But uh, but at the same time, there were there were shoots, there were sort of rays of light coming through. The In the background, there was what you referred to earlier as the Nen Valley Stadium, mm. which, which is now obviously called Sixfields. But that, yeah. that hope of having that built, sort of, I don't know, it, it kept things going, I think, in that time. That, yeah. Yeah. You're gonna turn turn this around. Uh, I don't know what year did uh, Six Fields open? Was that ninety? Nineteen ninety-four. It was October ninety-four. Yeah, that first game of the season. That was uh, well. Well, the, was the, the actual game. opening game. We 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 played a few games at the county ground because obviously the previous season 
Yeah. yeah, we'd have the last the so-called last game home game against Chester, and um, but then it wasn't. We ended, up, um, we ended up then having a few more games at the county ground, and our first home game at Six Fields was in October '94, um, and against Barnet. Yeah, it was. I think the last the last game, like you said, at uh, the county ground was supposed to be uh, Chester because I remember going to that one. And yeah. if you got if you got a program. And the program was back online by then. It was all right. Mm. If you got a t- token out of the program, you got a ticket to the first game at Barnet, or you had to get two or three tokens. So you got a ticket to the first game at Sixfields, but obviously the ground wasn't finished. And I think the last game at County Ground was actually Mansfield, as far as I remember. It was, yeah, yeah. People yeah, went on the pitch and took a bit of the turf home and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the build up to the Sixfields opening, I remember going to an open day when it wasn't really finished. You could go and like, and I thought it was like the bee's knees. Honestly, I thought this ground is like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, really? c- compare with obviously, you know, because uh, because the thing was that you know county ground, you know, it wasn't the best, but it was ours. <laughs> oh yeah, like looking back on the county ground now, I completely see it was absolutely a really amazing facility. Really, obviously the the the, the, mm-hmm. the you know the stands and stuff were terrible, but to have a a cricket club and a football club next to each other is really pretty cool and mm. it had so much character all the different mismatched stands of spy on cop oh yeah obviously day the main stand was obviously a really good stand and uh the hotel end and then the duck boards on the cricket side mm-hmm. it was it was a, a really sort of characterful ground that i probably would love to be back in situ at but at the time it did feel like there was a need to move and like uh try and try and or something better at Sixfield, which culminated with that first game against Barnet, which was packed and really emotional day for a lot of people. I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. To build to build Sixfields, it took a lot. It wasn't an easy thing. It, it took a, a really strong ca- a Labour uh, Borough Council yeah. to say, look, yeah. to uh, to say, look, we're gonna we're gonna build this thing. You know, mm. they, they they sold the municipal bus company to build it. That's right. Uh, um, and you would never be able to get, get that built now. Can you imagine the council no. now saying we're going to use tax or we, we're going to use money? Well, having money said that, of course, ground. the council did uh, did lend in inverted commas the uh, the club the money for the east the east stand development, didn't they? Oh uh, yeah, let's not go into that. <laughs> we won't go into that today. No, I think that I think that's a whole new podcast on its own. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that we'll quickly just talk about that Barnet game quickly um and Martin Aldridge scored as I remember and he did an over a, uh what did a, a somersault didn't he when he scored yeah yeah that's Barnet and uh I remember uh, who, uh the guy that scored for Barnet was uh Dougie Friedman he went on to have a that's, really good career yeah. Scottish guy but he was yeah. a really talented fella yeah. um so he sort of heralded a, a new he did uh, herald a new era for cobblers and that momentum just kept on pushing and pushing Ian Atkins was he manager by that point no it was still John Barnwell um so we, we were still not doing brilliantly even at that stage it wasn't until sort of Ian Atkins came in and yeah. took over um that he steadied the ship um and got us sort of safe that first season and then and obviously we built from there yeah he, he definitely brought in uh um a solidity to the to the club and just a bit bit more belief about it really that we can actually yeah. kick on instead of being these you know bottom four dwellers we can actually kick on mm. and uh, yeah. obviously that 
that grew and you know the belief grew and he 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 actually had access to quite a lot of good old players from Birmingham City and his sort of old stomping ground in the Midlands you know the likes of you know John Gale and uh, Clarkson and John Frayne well, John Frayne of course you know yeah. legend and, uh, Roy um, Hunter he came from West but, Brom but, but he know, also some of those that um that had been there like you know Ray Warburton Ian Sampson you know but yeah. again two absolute legends you know yeah they these were these were sort of players you can put in the legendary status because they uh, they delivered when it mattered they weren't they didn't they weren't like a modern footballer that you know cared about the you know off the pitch stuff they were just literally they'd put their body on the line just for the, mm. the football club really um two you know two amazing Wembley um appearances the first one obviously more successful than than the second yeah. but the first well, one was, well, the, was, was for the, whole the second the second one I is for me is remembered more for the semi final really? rather than the final. Yeah, was that the Bristol Rovers one? Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was great. Because yeah. you know, obviously I was at the first leg at Bristol. Yeah, um, they were three 0 up. Um, now I can't remember the name of their striker who was re- Barry Hales. Barry Hales. Barry Hales. Barry Hales. Yeah. He was. He, he was. Quality. Instead of instead of scoring, which would yeah. have made it four, and that would have been game over. Yeah. We then just went down the other end. John and John Gale scored what was uh, a consolation, three-one. Yeah. Yeah. The game. Their announcer was giving it right. Rovers fans, you know, get ready to buy tickets for Wembley. The you know t-shirts and scarves will be on sale, etc., etc. Because yeah. our players heard it, our fans heard it. We yeah. were angry. The players were angry, um, and so the, we were up for it for that second leg at at, uh, at Sixfields. And I, I don't think I've ever been in a. I, I've been in crowds of sixty thousand at like Molyneux for uh, uh, Wolves against Leeds when Leeds were going to win the double. Mm. The, the atmosphere at um, you know at, at Sixfields that night against Bristol Rovers, it was just. Um, incredible a crowd of what seven and a half thousand I don't I don't think it's been matched since I, I, it, I can remember it, it very just, clearly that it was raucous and it was it was the crowd the crowd were literally the 12th man They're, yeah we weren't going to well, lose I, that I just felt it the whole no, time it was it was just absolutely amazing and, and even now looking even now thinking about it it was just you know hindsight isn't making any it, it, it's not through rose tinted glasses it That's is true. it was just an amazing, amazing night for being a Cobblers fan that night. But Sixfields yeah. were Sixfields was, without using the cliche, a bit of a fortress at that point. The year, obviously, the year we won at Wembley, we had to see off uh, Cardiff in the semi-final. They were, you know, the away game was amazing when Sean Parrish, yeah. who might oh, be Sean Parrish, oh, yeah. he's, he's chipped. You go to that game, that was that was. Oh, uh, was yeah, got soaked. Um, it was a terrace, wasn't it? And I'm sure it was an open yeah. terrace, and it was raining. Yeah, and uh, Sean Parrish just gets the ball. You know, the rest is history. Just surges forward, chips the keeper, and the celebrations on that open terrace at um, Ninian Park in those days, which yeah. was a proper old-fashioned football ground, were were just immense. And afterwards, the Cardiff fans weren't happy at all. They, they weren't, weren't happy. No, no, no. no. 
Uh, and you've got a great they, story. They weren't, happy, they weren't happy when they came to Sixfields either. But, yeah, um, let, let's hear this story about uh, you know, wasn't there was there was a World War Two going on, World War Three going on around you, wasn't there? While you were trying to sell yeah. the program. I was, so, I was, yeah, I was at the bottom of the steps at Sixfields, my usual selling spot, and um, selling the fanzine, uh, and all you know, and all this fighting was going on around me, and I'm thinking, and I'm just stood there. It's like <laughs> I was being, you know, totally being ignored while I was selling fancy while you know, these Cardiff fans were, were trying to, you know, fight fight with Cobblers fans, and it was like I'm thinking, am I invisible? Thank goodness, you know. <laughs> what a load of Cobblers, Cobblers fancy. So yeah, they were they were good times, you know, Atkins. Uh, probably reached as far as he could take the club really and it didn't end that great but for me still one of the best cobblers managers in my opinion and um just really good times and a real renaissance of the football club and mm. i'm so pleased that brian lomax he, the fruits of his labor are shown then the club was very well run very successful mm. on the pitch and he got to hold the playoff winning trophy and you know it was a beautiful beautiful moment really and i'm really happy yeah. he got to got to see that really yeah uh, so um then there were you know I, I don't know you can probably fill me in better I, I do remember but Ian Atkins left and you 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 wrapped up the fanzine in around 2004 2004 so did, yeah I, I uh the thing was the fan, fanzines were still I, I I think they were still relevant to an extent but Social media, well, you know, the, the internet was becoming more of a thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, there was, a, there was, there wasn't, there wasn't social media. There wasn't Facebook, uh, Twitter, and all that. But there was like uh, there was more competition for, you know, opinion. There, there was, well, there, there, there were like forum groups. There were like forum groups. And whereas the fanzine, there was still space for fanzines, say, because you know, you you'd got, you, you could step back and 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 have a considerate view of things. Because at the moment, you know, on, on back back then with the forums um, and with um, and what you've got now with Twitter and Facebook is it's black and white. It, it's, everything's the best or everything's the worst. There's no middle ground. Whereas a fanzine, you know, you'd be writing something maybe a few days after the event, and you had time to sit down and consider and, and to think about things and. Um, Think but, that that's uh, that's a that's a really good point. I I'm, I'm probably as guilty as everyone of maybe some knee-jerk reactions, and I do think football has become too too serious now. Really, the the whole uh, you know uh, not the ethos of the fanzine, but a lot of the you know the uh, entertainment in the fanzine was it was a bit of a piss take. Really, people having a laugh yeah. and yeah. taking a bit of a wry look at things, not taking it not taking it that seriously and no. i think the move to all seater stadiums hasn't stadia hasn't helped that because when you used to go to the hotel end or you know the county ground or if i go to any grounds now with a terrace or you know a bit more old school mm. there's a whole there's a whole lot more to a football match than just sitting in your in your little seat yeah. assessing over everything that's going on the pitch in minute detail yeah. You know, and thinking everyone's a little mini manager in themselves. No, you know, used to have a bit, there, there was, a, a bit of a laugh and conversation, and yeah, not you know, you, you, you could have, you know, there was banter between between you. You, you'd have, you know, you, you, you'd, you'd see similar faces. You know, you, you still stood in the same spot on yeah. the hotel end as 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 we, as we but but you, but there was there was banter, there was joking, there was laughing, 
there was, you know, crying at times, you know. Yeah. What, and what the away um, fans were going up to, you know, it was it wasn't a, what I would call a, you know, a you know a sterile environment, which I find six fields can be these days. Mm. There was a lot more. Not that everything that went down was right, and I'll, I'll never condone, you know, no. certain stuff. No, well, well, well there, there's, 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 there's the famous picture back in the back in the Graham Carr days, of course, of, of yeah. the sign that went up in front of the hotel end: "No swearing, please." What 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 a uh, what a photo! And I don't think it probably ever worked, to be honest. <laughs> uh, no, it didn't. In fact, uh, I think it probably sort of incited a bit more uh, coarse language than than it otherwise would have done. Uh, yeah, and um, I I think I I'm um, I keep my ear to the ground in terms of fanzines. I still buy a few, and they're they're still going fairly strong now. They're still they're still uh, subject to all the pressures that you were in those days. So, but, fantastic. Uh, You've still got a fanzine. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the first cobbler's fanzine, obviously, what a load of cobblers, yeah. um, 1988. When yeah. when I was going, there was another there was another um, fanzine came out for a short period of time from the cobblers. Okay. Um, yeah, there was, and I'm struggling to remember the name of it now. Yeah. Um, no, I can't remember. But uh, that that came out. It, was, it wasn't. It didn't last very long because obviously I think. I'd sort of got the brand and got probably the, you know, I, well, I've got some of the best writers, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to lead on to that, actually. Um, we'll, we're going to wrap up soon. It's been really interesting talking to you. And um, we're going to continue talking in the weeks ahead while this, uh, yes. this corona stuff is yeah. going on. But, um, but yeah, in terms of just people listening that, you know, uh, interested in, you know, fanzine culture and, you know, fan culture in general, um, Talk us through, like, what would be your what would be your your sort of routine on a match day if, when you're going to sell it? Like, did what time would you turn it up at the ground? Where would you sell it? And that sort um, of thing. Well, that's uh, obviously while we were, while we were still at the county ground. Um, you know, I turn up at I get to the county tavern probably about quarter to one one o'clock. Um, yeah, have a couple of beers in the county tavern, and, and then. What, what, luxury of having a, a pub right next to the home end like oh, you, you'd go for that brilliant. now wouldn't you brilliant yeah it was brilliant um and i'd come out and i'd be standing outside the um county tavern from about two o'clock until yeah. five to th- about five to three and then just you know there were, there were there were never really any great queues to get into the um into oh. the hotel end and um yeah, Do you and, and, and then half the time I would wander around the hotel end selling the fanzine during you know during half time. Yeah, and then at the end of the game again I would stand outside and sell as it was as people coming out of the ground. Yeah, so you got the uh, the people leaving on the way out as well. Yeah, could, can yeah. you remember how much it used to actually cost to get in the hotel end? Because I remember Ooh. it wasn't much being when I was going in the nineties. Like I think the kids it was maybe four quid four or five quid or something i can't remember for kids i don't know i can't really remember for adults I, 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 I honestly can't remember i really can't it's um so it wasn't it was 24 pound that you pay now five, i think possibly yeah. i don't know uh, I, I, I honestly can't remember and um what about your obviously the fanzine ran for quite a number of years and you had quite a few different con- contributors and writers and stuff can you remember any sort of ones that are notable ones or ones that you really enjoyed? well i think um, I had some brilliant writers, you know, um, and I wouldn't want to sort of take it away from any of the writers that we used to have because they each had their own. They obviously, you know, had um, uh, um, the guy who did, you know, Claret's tea, uh, 
Claire T. Rayner, um, Nigel. Yeah, it was Wheaton. at the problem page. The prob- like a problem. Yeah. 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 Um, and obviously, you know, uh, lots of other really, really good writers. But was it the one, Abraham Amstruther or something? Well, like I was just getting onto that. The the one the one um, uh, the guy who wrote that, I I, I recognise his handwriting. He, he would he would send his articles to me handwritten, um, and then I had to type them all out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And I whenever the, whenever fanzine day fanzine fanzine deadline day was coming. When he, when the envelope with his handwriting on the envelope came through my door, yeah, I, I knew that the fanzine was going to be brilliant again, because yeah, Maycock, his name, his name's Norman Maycock, yeah. um, you see, the, the diary of Abraham Anstruther, and he was just absolutely brilliant. I would sit there laughing myself, you know, silly, yeah. with it, with his, and then obviously, and then typing it all up. Yeah, he, he you know. Uh, so much so that I actually did an anthology of um, of his and, and published that as well. Oh, that's, that's that's cool. And I think uh, you, you obviously enjoyed doing it. What, you know, it was a bit of a labour of love, obviously. But you, well, it was it was great because not only you know not only enjoyed doing the fact that uh, getting out, of, but I made so many so many friends. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I got to meet so many people, and I got I got to you know, and I got I got you know, I've I've made friendships from doing the fanzine that I, that I might not have. Ever, ever made before, you know. And I'm. And just, I don't I'm think, I don't think that um, writers that I always say like I do a bit of football writing myself, and people sometimes ask me for a little bit of advice, and I always say, learn from the terraces up. There's no better um, grounding or you know any anything for writing or being involved in you know talking about football than get out there on the terraces, speak to people. The stories you hear from the fans are always. Um, much more interesting than the interviews with the players. So, um, you know, you, you, if you go back through all your old copies, there'll be so many funny, sort of uh, interesting and, you know, wry stories. That and maybe... and there, are, there are snapshots of yeah. that time as well. Yeah, and maybe in the in the weeks ahead, we can get out some old copies and go through what was that, yeah. what on in those. That would be, uh, be quite funny. We'll, we'll wrap up now. I think we're getting on to about towards an hour this is the first uh podcast yeah. we're gonna do so it's gonna be a bit rough around the edges but as in the uh you know ethos of um fanzines it's all a bit punk and a bit uh rough around a bit rough and ready so we'll get a bit better as well as i say you know the, the first first wall of cobblers was eight pages on photocopy paper yeah typewritten well in, in parts of it I, I didn't have anything to put headlines you know i had no nothing to do with headlines so they were all handwritten headlines, you know, of, of the articles. And did you, know, you say with, you photocopied it as well? Yeah. I bet your local yeah. news agent loved you. You must have put a few quid in his in his till. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I actually, I, um, I, I always remember um, it cost. I, I had 250 fanzines printed. Yeah. I charged 25 pence for each copy. Which so that would be what so. A quarter of 250, 62 pound 50, um, and I paid 64 pounds for the photocopying. Wow! And you would you wouldn't have known pound, you wouldn't have pound, known if you were yeah, going to get anything yeah, back either, issue. would you? Sorry? You'd have known if you would have got anything back either. You'd have been a bit of a bit no. of a bit in hope. No, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a punt, you know. But then I, I started selling, say, Mansfield away first game of the season, and I couldn't sell them fast enough. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, that's testament to a the content and b um, like you say the camaraderie of the fans. Well, well, you know, again, something new. It's what it, it, it's people. I think fans. We we, we carry on again, don't we? But uh, but fans. Yeah. It's what fans wanted at the time. It yeah. was like an antidote to 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 all the you know all the, all the negative stuff. Exactly. So um, let, let's wrap up now. Uh, we'll just quickly talk about your you know your relationship with cobblers now how, how often do you, do you go up now uh, i take it it's not as quite as much as before but um i no i, I don't go up as often as, as i could obviously i've retired now uh, i've got a lot of other interests in in life yeah. um and you know whereas you know years ago i, used to, I was you know I used to go home and away you know home and away for you know virtually every week nearer yeah. to the start of league Erie, of course but um yeah but, no it, it's it you know um, that's life, you know. though, isn't it? That's life, and I think, I think uh, football now, football now has changed so much since the times we were talking about. And I do, I do feel the a lot of the colour has been taken out of the game, and a lot of the um, just the you know, the, just the, the the interest and of, of the sport is, is going. And I'm I'm involved with the, the safe standing campaign at Cobblers, and I'm sort of really trying yeah. to try and bring back. Uh, bring back as much as possible that sort of fan culture element and hopefully in the you know years ahead we can we can do that but I know for a fact that you um Cobbers is your club and you never use your love love for it and you 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 you're back you sort of more often than not and we'll, we'll see you about no doubt up at six oh, when when it starts again hopefully when it starts again I think that the, the first the first game after all this coronavirus stuff I would like to think that we will get a massive crowd at Six Hills because I'll, yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll both be there, and um, uh, hopefully, you know, something something good can come out at the end. And there's a lot of people probably listening that are missing their um, football fix and just sort of really sort of down. But we'll all we'll all be back. And one thing Cobblers fans do, isn't it? We all stick together, and we uh, yeah. we're all there when it's count when it counts. That's what we've done sort of consistently over the years. Anyway, it's good yeah. talking to you, and um, it's been really interesting and you know i'll uh i'll wrap up here but um yeah we'll speak soon fabulous thanks a lot all right thanks tom cheers even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.